Well, I want to read a passage of Scripture to you. I've read it before, and this is kind of going to be a, a little bit different than what we uh, will typically do. Uh, I want to say good morning to my friend Jeff Thompson, who just checked in. And so, Jeff, it's good to good to hear from you. Glad you're with us. I will tell you that this is a little more informal than normal, and I hope that you're comfortable and cozy. And if you've got a cup of something uh, hot, I encourage that. Uh, so I may take a break here from time to time to take a sip of coffee and ask for, for your uh, uh, grace to be able to do that. Um, if you have uh, your Bible and want to follow along, I'm going to read this morning as we begin from the last book in the Bible, uh, the book of Revelation. So uh, if you turn there, uh, Revelation uh, chapter 21 and it's a familiar passage, but I want to read uh, this morning the first um, four verses from Revelation 21. If everybody's got it, follow along with me, and I'll read. Uh, this is what God's Word says. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven, prepared as a bride, adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain any more, for the former things have passed away. May God bless his word to our hearts today. Uh, let me uh, just kind of tell you where I hope to go with this. We've been talking uh, recently, uh, particularly last week, if you remember, uh, I mentioned to you uh, the idea from Ephesians chapter 2 of the church being uh, the new temple. Uh, and so I want to just kind of continue on expanding on that idea today, but rather than focus on one uh, specific passage of Scripture, I want us to consider this um, this will be kind of like a biblical theology study as we work through basically the whole Bible. We're going to begin uh, in the book of Genesis. And so what we're going to do is we're going to start out here in Genesis and we're going to end up here in Revelation 21. If you were to imagine this as time travel, we're going to go back to the very beginning in the Garden of Eden and work our way throughout biblical history, we're actually going to bypass us where we are here in 2021 to whenever uh, this event that takes place in Revelation 21 that John sees in the vision that the Lord gives him. So uh, that's the story. Uh, that's the plan. Uh, and I hope it all makes sense. But let's, let's go back to the beginning. Um, and you will remember that um, things started out so well back in the Garden of Eden. Uh, in Genesis 1.28, after the creation of man, uh, and by implication woman, uh, it says, and God blessed them. Uh, I think that when we read what we read here in Revelation 21, this is the epitome of, of God's blessing. And so there's a connection there. I hope you can see that connection. Um, but we have this situation here in Eden where Adam and Eve are together in the garden and God is with them. 
His presence is with them. Uh, the last verse of Genesis 1 says, And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. Um, it probably stretches our minds to try to imagine what this was like. Uh, a world where there was no sin, uh, no no tension of any kind uh, in the relationship between Adam and Eve and in their relationship with the Lord. Uh, no lack, no need, uh, no no violence, no anything like that. Nothing but peace and joy and blessing. But uh, as we all know, it didn't stay that way. Now, how long it was like that, we don't know, but it doesn't seem to have been very long. Uh, God, when he put Adam in the garden, uh, he gave him all these things and, and they were blessed. And Adam was commissioned to fill the earth uh, and... Not too long after all of these events, uh, we find out that Adam uh, fell. He was given one prohibition only, just one. Now, you and I may be tempted to think, well, you know, if we had been in that situation and had only been given one prohibition, we would not have made the mistake that Adam made. We would have, we would have uh, succeeded where Adam fell. But I think the scriptures make it very clear that uh, like Adam, we would have done the same thing. Paul says in Romans 5.12, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. I think that this passage in Romans 5 and a, uh, a related passage in 1 Corinthians 15 make it clear that Adam uh, is our representative. Uh, that is that we would have done the same thing uh, that he did. Uh, we would have acted in the very same way. So God comes to dwell with man in the garden, uh, and, and there's man and woman in the garden, and they're overwhelmed with guilt and shame. They try to hide. You remember that story, right? And uh, what does God say? Well, uh, Adam and Eve have to be put out of the garden, but God makes a promise uh, they they cannot be in his presence, at, le at least like they were there at the beginning when there was no sin. But God makes this promise, and you're familiar with this promise in Genesis 3.15. I will put enmity between you, and of course he's speaking to the serpent here, uh, and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring, he shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel." Uh, we call this the Proto-Euangelion, the, the first mention of the gospel in Scripture. Uh, how wonderful it is that uh, so early in the story, there is this promise, this hope that's given to man, uh, to Adam and, and to, to everyone who will come after him, that God will someday make a way and that the serpent's head will ultimately be crushed. Uh, this serpent actually resurfaces uh, throughout history, but especially in the book of Revelation. We see that the, the enemy of God even referred to as the serpent. Well, let's go back to Genesis. And uh, one second for a, a coffee sip, and I hope you'll do the same thing. Hmm. That's where This is where you give me the heart or the thumbs up or something to know that you amen that decision, by the way. So... Um, but when we, when we move ahead in the story to, to uh, Abraham, we skip ahead a few chapters in Genesis. We get to uh, chapter 12. And what we find is that uh, there's a similar calling to Adam. Uh, uh, God calls Abraham and he promises him 
Uh, thank you so much. I see all the hearts. <laughs> uh, the hearts are floating up now. Uh, but there's a, a calling and a, a promise to Abraham and a commissioning to Abraham. Um, God uh, tells Abraham that he is going to, uh, from him, raise up a nation of people, a nation that will be God's people. And it is from this nation that this promised one back in Genesis 3.15 will come. Uh, the Lord tells Abraham, I will establish my covenant between me and you and your offspring. Now, that's an interesting word, offspring. I think the King James Version has seed. Uh, well, one of my favorite commentaries on this promise to Abraham in Galatians uh, explains, uh, or actually the, the, the commentary is the Apostle Paul there in Galatians, where he tells us who that seed, that offspring is. He says, now the promises were made to Abraham and to his offspring. It does not say, and to offsprings, referring to many, but referring to one, and to your offspring, singular, who is Christ. So, uh, who is the promise to Abraham? Well, in a sense, it's, it's uh, a promise to all of his uh, offspring, those who are related to him by blood. And we see those promises fulfilled. Um, brother Shane is checking in. Thank you, brother. Good to, good to have you with us this morning. Um, but ultimately, this promise is fulfilled in the coming of the Lord Jesus. And so uh, we're, we've, we're talking about some stories here that we're familiar with in the Bible, the story of Adam and Eve in the garden and the story of Abraham. Uh, what we have to recognize is that uh, even though these stories are very different, uh, the, the times are different, sometimes uh, you know the, the locations are different, all of these stories are related and ultimately they tell one story, and that's the story that the Bible tells us. Well, let's move ahead in history uh, a, a little farther. Um, God keeps his promise, and he makes a great nation of the descendants of Abraham. Now, this nation, interestingly, uh, God uh, promises in a, a, a kind of an unusual way to Abraham that as he's doing these great things and that these people are blessed and, and multiplying, they're going to be enslaved for 400 years. And this is what happens uh, when Abraham's uh, grandson and great-grandson, uh, great Jacob and Joseph, venture down to Egypt. And without getting into those stories, we know that there is a great nation there ultimately that is made, but it is a nation of slaves that need to be uh, redeemed. So this is exactly what God does. And again, we, we enter into now a, another story in the Bible, right? The story of Moses and, and Pharaoh and Egypt and the ten plagues. And so God uh, sends these plagues. He judges Egypt and he brings out his people. And as he brings them out, uh, he, he leads them into a, a, the wilderness to a, a mountain, Mount Sinai. And that is uh, what Scripture calls the mountain of God. And there, God's people meet him. Uh, newly redeemed, they come to the mountain and they see God there. Uh, and uh, what God instructs them is that uh, they are to worship him, and he tells them how they're to do it. They are to build a tabernacle, uh, which is like a, a tent, 
And in this tent, there's going to be a, a particular piece of furniture called the Ark of the Covenant. That Ark of the Covenant is where the glory of God will come. God will reveal himself to his people there in the tabernacle in uh, uh, above the Ark of the Covenant. If you remember, this is a basically a gold box with a golden lid on it uh, that is called the mercy seat. And on the ends of the boxes are two uh, angels, cherubim, who are facing each other with their wings outspread. And between those angels is where the glory of God would come. Now, this was uh, where God would display his glory. Uh, This temporary and movable tent would be replaced when King Solomon comes and builds a temple in the city of Jerusalem. Uh, Jerusalem would be uh, the special city, the holy city where people would come and gather uh, for the, the feasts that God had prescribed in the law. Uh, three times a year, all the men would have to come to Jerusalem at these most important feast days. And there they would make their sacrifices, and the priests would go into the temple. Uh, and again, as uh, they had done with the tabernacle, uh, they would go in and make their, their sacrifices. The priests would go into the temple, and God would be there among his people, Uh, As he had promised, he would be in their midst and his glory would be on display for them to to recognize his presence. But unfortunately, it wouldn't stay this way. Uh, Just like in Eden, uh, the people sinned. We see this uh, near the end of Solomon's reign. He takes many, many wives who who lead him astray. His heart is led astray. And later on, we have... uh, Throughout the history of Israel, all their their kings would uh, lead the people into idolatry and idol worship. And because of that, uh, God would banish his people from the land that he had given them. Uh, But this was not the way that it was supposed to be. Uh, Israel was supposed to be like Adam. They were supposed to spread the glory of God. Um, This is what's talked about in Psalm 67, uh, where it says, Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. The earth has yielded its increase. God, our God, shall bless us. God shall bless us. Let all the ends of the earth fear him. And so this blessing that is put upon Adam, that is uh, given to Abraham, comes to God's people. And we see there in in Solomon's reign that that, uh, there's peace all around and people do begin to come. We mentioned last week in last week's sermon, the Queen of Sheba. She is just an example of those who would come from all around. And and yes, they would see the splendor and glory of the kingdom, but what they would know is that this blessing had come about because of who Israel's God was, Yahweh himself. Well, again, there was... uh, God's mercy stretched over time because of the idolatry that continued in uh, Israel and and they turned to idols, they forsake the Lord. Uh, And when this happens, God cannot dwell among his people. Uh, So they're banished. Uh, Isaiah explains in his prophecy, but your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God and your sins have hidden his face from you so that he does not hear. Well, I'm sure the people in those days probably wondered. Maybe Isaiah himself wondered. But what about the promise? You know, what about the promise of this coming one? Is God going to be faithful and keep his word? And so Isaiah is given 
Uh, another uh, prophecy, and he says this earlier in, in the book of Isaiah. He says, for to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. That's a passage that we uh, read a lot around uh, Christmas time. We, we often will read that passage together uh, during Advent season. But that's the promise from Isaiah that God would indeed send someone. Uh, later in another prophecy, he says this, Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. Now that word Emmanuel means God with us. And so the Lord reiterates the promise to send a redeemer for his people. But this is many, many, many years later before anything begins to happen, but finally it does. And so we move again ahead in history to the time of our Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, we read about the story of his birth in Matthew's gospel. And there we find out that an angel had visited Joseph. And uh, you probably remember that story. Uh, Joseph is about to put Mary away. He has found out that she's with child, but he is not the father. And so the angel comes to Joseph and says, don't put Mary away. She's going to have a son and you shall call his name Jesus. Jesus is an English word for the, the Greek word, Jesus, uh, which is the Greek equivalent to the Old Testament uh, Hebrew word uh, named Joshua, uh, which means savior. And so the angel tells Joseph, you're going to, to give your child a name that means savior, this son that's going to be born. Um, and then after those instructions, Matthew quotes this Isaiah prophecy that I mentioned to you earlier, where uh, Isaiah said, you will call his name Emmanuel. Now, that's an interesting thing that Matthew does, isn't it, there, where he's, he says that the angel tells Joseph, you'll name, you're going to call his name Jesus in fulfillment of a prophecy that says you'll call his name Emmanuel. Uh, it sounds like a contradiction, doesn't it? But what we understand is that what God is doing is he's beginning to fulfill this promise where he is going to send someone to restore what was lost in Eden so that God could come and be with his people. And through Jesus, the reversal of the curse would begin to take place, this, this banishment from the presence of God that we saw in, in Eden, that we saw uh, happen to Israel, being put out of the land and sent away. Well, in John's gospel... It's even made more explicit because this tabor, uh, tabernacle temple imagery resurfaces in the coming of Jesus. Uh, if you remember, we, we uh, often quote this verse from uh, John 1.14 that says that uh, the word was made flesh and dwelt among us. That word dwelt there is more literally the word tabernacle. So John is, is drawing that connection to uh, that tent that they had in the Old Testament where God manifested his presence. And then if you remember uh, in the very next chapter in John chapter 2, we mentioned this passage last week where uh, Jesus said, destroy this temple and I will raise it in three days. 
And the disciples later, after his resurrection, came to understand that what Jesus was referring to was the temple of his body. And so we're seeing the fulfillment of these promises with the coming of Jesus, right? Does everybody uh, understand? Is everybody following me? I know we've covered a lot of a lot of history, a lot of a lot of uh, time. <laughs> now, we see in the Gospels the fulfillment of the promise that Jesus has come, uh, and the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. But that may be confusing to us because. Later on, Jesus provides atonement for the sins of his people. He dies on the cross. He's put in the tomb and buried. And then he's resurrected on the third day. Uh, He rose again. This is the gospel, the hope of the gospel that we have. But then he ascends back to the Father. And we may wonder at this point, well, how is it that God is with his people if he has gone back uh, to glory? Well, um, what we must recognize is that Jesus made a promise before his departure. Uh, He told his disciples that his departure had to take place. And what we recognize is that through the coming of the Holy Spirit, uh, Jesus is not just with his people, but he's in us. And so, uh, we're going to have to, to work through some more scriptures to understand exactly what all of this means and, and the, uh, the importance of all of this because this too was predicted by the prophets. If we go back to the prophet Ezekiel, he uh, predicted something that's very important to us in Ezekiel 36, verses 26 and 27, where he says, And I will give you a new heart. And a new spirit I will put within you, and I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. Now, uh, this is a passage that we know, one passage, there are several, but this is one passage that we know uh, in the Old Testament that references the coming of the new covenant. And this new covenant promise uh, is that God would put his spirit in us, that God himself would come and dwell with us. I think this is the passage uh, or something like this that Paul has in mind when he explains in 1 Corinthians 3.16, do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's temple, uh, that God's spirit dwells in you? You you, you see, everybody understood that uh, with the tabernacle and the temple, Uh, What was so great was not just that those were uh, beautiful uh, structures, but that that was where God came. They saw the presence of God manifested in the tabernacle and in the temple. And so it was so reassuring to them to know that God still came and dwelt with them. But Ezekiel also sees that presence of God leave the temple. We mentioned this uh, again last week uh, in in the sermon where we talked about the glory departing from the temple of God. Um, So how is all of this going to be uh, made right? Well, we talked about this last week, and and, and this is how we understand what we looked at in Ephesians chapter 2, and particularly Ephesians 2.20, where Paul is speaking about the church that he says, is built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, 
in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. And so what's happening here is that as Jesus is fulfilling his promise to build his church, uh, people are coming from all over, all over the world. Uh, As the gospel is preached, the disciples of Jesus have been dispersed all over the world to take the gospel. And as the gospel is proclaimed, uh, those who believe are being added to the Lord's church. And this church is likened to a, a structure, a temple. And this temple is indwelt by God himself. And yet, as wonderful as this idea is, and it is indeed a wonderful idea, uh, things have not reached a culmination, have they? Um, Christ has come, and this uh, new temple is being built. We have seen the inauguration of his kingdom through Uh, his coming into the world and his death and resurrection, and we do have the Spirit. But yet, there's still this ongoing battle that is taking place, the battle that we have with uh, sin, uh, the battle that we have with the enemy. The, The ultimate victory has not yet come, has it? We're still in a fallen state. And so our cry is like the ancient Israelites of old that is, Uh, put forth into a very good hymn that we often sing uh, during Christmas time. O come, O come, Emmanuel. That's our cry, isn't it? Uh, We join with the uh, uh, Apostle John at the the book, uh, the end of the book of Revelation. He says, uh, uh, come quickly, Lord. And that's our desire. And so this is where we are now. And and so we fast forward to some point in history, uh, in the future, that that we don't even know when it is, where we have this, what we see, John, the, uh, we've talked about the inauguration, but ultimately the the consummation, uh, the culmination will come where, again, let me, let me close by just reading our passage and we see how this comes about. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. And the sea was no more, and I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the tabernacle, the dwelling place, that is, of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear. From their eyes, and death shall be no more, neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain any more, for the former things have passed away. Well, this is exactly where we are uh, today. Uh, we, we seek that kingdom. Uh, this is the admonition of our Lord to seek uh, the kingdom of God and his righteousness, the, the coming of the kingdom where the Lord is reunited with his church. Uh, fully, where there is no longer the presence of sin, uh, and not not only that, but there's no more pain, there's no more death, there's no more suffering of any kind. We we still are enduring those things now, but we have the blessed hope of the gospel to know that one day, our Lord Jesus is coming again. He's he's come once, and he's he's begun things. Things are are beginning 
uh, in, in the process of being made new, but ultimately they, they will be completed when everything is made new and we'll see his kingdom in its fullness and we'll see the Lord as we've never seen him before. Uh, what great hope that does give us. Uh, I hope this is an encouragement to you and I hope it blesses your heart. Well, let me close us with a word of prayer. Father, we thank we thank you for your word and we're thankful that uh, although we read in many places, many different accounts and different stories, we know that your word tells us one great story of the hope of redemption. We're thankful for our Lord Jesus who has come to save us and who has shed his blood for us and he has ascended into the the heavens and and brought that blood before you and full atonement has been made and he he uh, is making intercession for us even now and we know lord that you hear him father we uh, do pray that you would strengthen our hearts lord many of us are are weary uh, it may be physically some of us may be dealing with physical pain uh, some of us are, are dealing with emer- emotional hurts and scars, and, and maybe spiritually we are uh, discouraged. And Father, for all these things, our only hope is you, and our only help is you. And so I pray for everyone who's listening now, Lord, uh, that you would please bless and strengthen. We have no hope but in the good news of our Lord Jesus Christ, our Savior, who has done for us what we could never do for ourselves, and we, we trust him and him alone. We, we cling to the hope of the gospel, and Lord, we pray that you would just continue to grant strength for us to be able to hold on. Lord, that you would give us victory uh, over uh, everything that we're dealing with. We pray for, for peace and mercy and grace and strength. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.